This episode of The Vincast is proudly supported by Sheba, Australia's first and only active all-female rideshare service getting women and children where they need to go. You can use Sheba in Melbourne, Geelong, Sydney, Brisbane, Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast and it will be available in Perth, Darwin and Adelaide soon. On episode 126 of the Vincast, I chat with Marie Doyard, owner of Cult Grower Champagne House, André Jacquard. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of The Vincast. My name is James Gasbrook, otherwise known as The Intrepid Wino. Uh, I'm super excited to have yet another episode for you, but I'm also excited to share with you an exciting development. Uh, here in Melbourne on the 5th of December at Noisy Ritual on Logan Street, Brunswick East, in conjunction with the podcast network that I'm now a part of, Earbuds, uh, we are going to be hosting the first ever edition of Vincast Live. Uh, so along with my co-hosts for the live show, uh, Nev Spirovska, uh, she is the host of Quickie Podcast, uh, I'm going to be welcoming two guests, Ben Rankin, the chief winemaker at Galley Estate, and former podcast guest Dan Buckle, chief winemaker for Shandon Australia. And we are going to be chatting about what the right grape varieties are for Australian wine. Uh, so uh, please um, check out the links below to find out how to secure some tickets for the live taping. Uh, if you can't make it to the show, even though they, I do highly recommend getting there because it's going to be some wine tasting as well. Uh, if you can't get there uh, in person, please do find out uh, the information about how you can watch live and ask questions and interact. But I'm really excited. It's going to be awesome. Uh, stay by for uh, future, future uh, more information. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, so for this episode, I am really excited to have uh, sat down with Marie Doyard, who is the owner of grower champagne producer Andre Jacquard. Uh, and I thought it would be perfect for Spring Racing Carnival, but also uh, for heading into you know Christmas, New Year's, uh, summer uh, to talk about champagne. So uh, Marie was here recently and uh, had a great chat about her background and the story of Andre Jacquard. So I hope you do enjoy this episode. Stick around to the end to find out how you get in contact with both of us. But until then, I'll see you on the other side. Murray, thank you for making some time whilst you're here in Australia showing your beautiful champagnes uh, and I'd like to welcome you on the podcast. Uh, it's lovely to have you. Thank you very much. Sir. Thank you for your invitation. <laughs> um, Murray, I start um, each of my episodes by asking my guests um, if wine um, was something that was important to them when they were young. Like, um, what's, what's the earliest memories you have about wine that made you think about it in a different way? The thing is... Um, I've been always growing up with my parents, following my parents' job. It means making wine, producing wine. So I've been living exactly the same uh, life. I was following them in their up and down, um, I would say, 
the everyday work when you have to run a family business. Sure. So you grew up in, in Champagne? You Absolutely. Were, you're, you're born there? Yes, I'm born in Reims. Yes. Because that's the biggest city where I'm coming from, uh, the, the Côte des Blancs, really close from Epernay. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm born in, in, in Reims and um, I've done my studies in Reims as well. Okay, so I have a quick question because there's so many different ways that people pronounce the name uh, of, of the city. What's the, what's the true... Correct French way to say it. In French, it's Reims. Reims. Yes. Okay. Reims. <laughs> for anyone, I know it's quite hard to say. Yes. I mean, for foreign people, the R, mm. Reims, which is and, quite... Uh, and, and the M is almost silent. Yeah, Reims. it is. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, um, Reims is one of my favorite cities to visit in France. Of course, you know, there's a beautiful cathedral. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very, very tall and there's always work going on to, because it's very old. Um, but, you know, Reims is a beautiful, beautiful it place to, to be. Yeah. Um, so uh, can you tell me a little bit about the, your family's history in yep. Champagne and um, whether it's to do with, uh, with wine or, or, or anything else with wine? Always. Yes. Through Champagne. Always. From my both side, actually, from my mum and from my dad's side. So my dad used to work uh, with his parents and brother in Vertu, which mm -hmm. is a premier cru appellation village classified in Champagne. And my mum, she's coming from Menil, sur Roger, which is a grand cru village appellation Champagne. And those are both in the Côte Blanc? Absolutely. They are just five kilometers difference. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they used to work separately with their own business coming from the older generation, coming from both sides. Mm. Obviously, you heard about the CIVC, CIVC, yes. which is the Comité Interprofessionnel des Vins de Champagne. Yes. That's the big community who is deciding, protecting the brand of Champagne, protecting the name very important. Champagne. Oh, yes. And very, very powerful. Like that. Yeah. They, 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 they were the ones who were yeah. saying, protect Champagne. No one else in the world can call it Champagne. It must only be from this geographic region, correct? Absolutely. They yes. are doing an amazing job. And guess who have been created? There's absolutely two people have been created the CIVC uh, just after the war. My great-grandfather, yes. Maurice Doyard, from my dad's side. Okay. okay. So we are involved in a champagne business and as grower champagne a long time ago. So I've got definitely that in my blood. And yes. That's my roots. Yes. Yeah, for sure. So um, when when did your family first start with with wine? Nineties, um, thirty, roughly. Okay, just so like about f four generation ago. Yes. Yeah. This was obviously a very difficult time for Champagne. You know, late nineteenth uh, century. There yeah. was phylloxera. Absolutely. Then was World War One. Yeah. And about this time was the depression, and, and then of course World War Two. There was a long period of time that Champagne was struggling, and of course there was the front, and so there was there was you know soldiers coming through, and absolutely, and a lot of lot of destruction, destruction of vineyards and of yeah. wineries. We've been through quite hard hard moments, but after the war, everything getting more and more nicer mm. if i can say and it was the real beginning of the renaissance of the champagne yeah so the the formation of the civc was very important because even in like they'd already had um many years of struggle and there was going to be even more struggle in the future yeah. so this was something that was very much was 
building for the future? Absolutely. And if I'm not wrong, it was the first CIVC was created from Champagne. And my grand-great-father was really an updated guy, if I can say. Yes. Because he was a completely new vision. And after the Champagne CVC was created, you had Bordeaux and all the French region had his own committee. Yes. Yeah. So this is... This is sort of before appellation. Yeah. Um, like there was, there was some classifications in Bordeaux and and in Burgundy as well about you know this is the quality parts of the region as far as you know Premier Cru Grand Cru this kind of thing. But as far as um, a region working together to yes. protect yeah. uh, their interests yeah. and to to help each other grow, the CIVC was sort of the first one in France. Oh yes, absolutely, and which is really important, that Champagne, it's only one appellation. Yes. Working in the same way. Yes. Which is sometimes completely different. I'm thinking about Bordeaux. It's like 53, 54 different appellations. Yes. It's completely different area for sure, different history. But honestly, I can see that that's only, that's the key word, Champagne. Yes. And it means everything for everybody, everybody will know what champagne means. Yes. Which is really strong, strong. Uh, yeah, that's a restaurant things to, to, to say. Yeah. Already at this point, champagne, there was sort of a brand or there were very large maisons who yeah. had done a lot of work. Absolutely. Not only selling champagne wine in France, but also oh, yes. you know, in, in Russia Absolutely. and uh, the United Kingdom and then in the United States as well. Um, so for, for, for the, the champagne producers in the past to have seen the success, I guess it was important to say we can be very strong. Absolutely. Uh, champagne as a brand yeah. can be something you know very important in the future. So yeah. we, we make this work now uh, and we, we have this vision uh, yeah. like your grandfather, great-grandfather had, uh, then there will be a time in the future, I'm sure, when, when champagne will be one of the most powerful yeah. wine brands in the world. It's working quite well in champagne because big brands are doing an amazing job in terms of communication, spending, marketing, and things, lots of money on marketing, communicating around the world Yes, for only one reason. And we do supply the full world, which is quite an amazing idea. Yes. Coming from this little region. And uh, it's true that big brands have done an amazing, and they are still doing an amazing job of communication. And for grower champagne like us, they are opening the door. Of course. They've been opening the door for us. That's what big brands you, There's no way you have to go to explain what champagne is. Yes. People know it's champagne, a, it's sparkling, yeah. it's Pinot Noir Chardonnay, Pinot Meunier. You know, the, the work has been done, but it's just a question of talking and teaching about what grower champagne is and why Absolute, this is special. Absolutely. We are not working the same way. They are working on volume to satisfy a maximum of palettes and people around the world yes we are more we are more working on family business there's somebody behind the bottle it's a long-term investment since few generations coming from a soil a terroir so we are more focusing on 
smaller it's a completely different approach obviously yes, of course. but there's space for everybody yes and i have to say that grower champagne it's getting more and more important yes. in the champagne uh in, around the world yes and um yes but the grower need the sm the smaller and the smaller need the bigger at the same time. Of course, I think uh, I feel like, and there is something similar happening in Australia as far as large and small producers. the The large producers maybe they're not changing so much. They have the same sort of story all the time. Yeah, and the media and sommelier and the consumers want something new Absolutely. sometimes. They need to talk about something different. Yeah. And so the small producers who are able to do th things a little bit differently and have something different to say, Absolutely. they are creating interest. So, so the large maison, you know, they probably, even though they might go, oh, they're getting the attention, yeah. at least people are talking about champagne. Absolutely. Now now there is, there are so many more sparkling wine made around the world, you know, Australia, of course, Yeah. you know, but even in Europe, you know, Prosecco is very strong. Absolutely. So, so the, the, as long as people are talking about champagne, then that's positive. For the image, uh, absolutely. This is, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, who was the in in your both your parents' families? Who was the first to establish their own winery, and and where were the vineyards? So, my dad. Okay. My dad in Vertu. Yep. Then my mum through his own parents as well. Okay. So um, they're roughly starting almost at the same time, but it's true that from my dad's side, coming from Maurice Doyard with the CIVC, the impact was a little bit more important sure so but the roughly both are working as champagne grower together okay on both sides because before they used to have grapes but they used to sell to uh negotiant people sure not make their own vinification and the full process and was this something that was a bit unusual at the time was to 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 grow and make your own champagne no it was this time of if I can almost say that grower champagne are starting to make their own their own champagne. Okay. So there were like a little bit of influence coming from the the grower champagne, the terroir to to focus on. Yeah. Okay. And so were the vineyards that um, both of your parents' families had were they centered around Vertu and uh, Menusru Auger? Yeah. Yeah. So just in those areas. Absolutely. So predominantly would be Chardonnay? Oh, yes. 89%. Okay. <laughs> um, and so then were, with your parents, were, were the, is it came together? Like they, they became part of the same kind uh, of... When I've decided okay. to look after the family business to carry on in 2004. Yes. So it's like almost 13 years old uh, ago. Okay. Uh, they've been... They've been, uh, they used to work completely separately, but they designed to offer me uh, a chance by joining the two properties. Okay. And I have cousin from my dad's side, and I don't have cousin from my mother's side. So it was easier for my dad to take his own uh, vineyards to my mum family. Okay. That's why I kept the André Jacquard brand, which is the name of my grandfather 
coming from my mother's side. Okay. And that's why as well we do own 24 hectares, which is quite big, if I can say, for Gros Champagne. And it's still the same areas? Yes. Okay. So we have a little bit of vineyards as well in Aube and N, but um, eight, all the largest percentage of our vineyards are located in Melille, Grand Cru, then as well in Vertu, Premier Cru. Okay. So growing up, this was for you a time when Champagne was starting to, to grow again. Um, what, how, did, how did you um, get involved with the business um, Nothing when was you were planned. young? Okay. Nothing was planned at all, to be honest. I've done my commercial studies. I've been traveling a lot. It's true, I have to say, I've been always working in the wine business. So maybe it was definitely my blood from the beginning, but it was not for my own property. So nothing was planned. I have a bigger brother and a little sister. We had we never received any pressure from our parents asking us, okay, kids, we have some vineyards, you have to come back. Never, never, never. So it, it, in 2003, my parents ask the three of us if maybe one of us was interested in coming back in a family business. Because I'm sure you can understand that having 24 hectares to transmit to your children if they are coming back or not, you are not taking the same decision, obviously. So my parents was only 50 when they decide to ask us if we are interested or not to coming back. And it's true that it took one year to my brother and my little sister to make sure about our decision because it's one of these decisions you take for the rest of your life. Of course. So it's a family investment. And you have to think about your children and, yeah. and your brother and sister's children and, you Absolutely. Know, and if they want to be involved with the business. So there's a big impact for the full family. Yes. And my brother and my little sister, they decide to not they will not be involved in the family business, but I've decided to come back. And I say, yes, I want to come back, but I want to change a few things. And I want to make my own signature and step of this new generation coming. Because I think each generation needs to bring a stone to the building. And I couldn't afford to get any more vineyards because price now is just getting crazy. And it's true that coming from my parents, grandparents and grand-grandparents, they had opportunity to buy some vineyards that I, I couldn't make it now. Due to the price, obviously. Yes. So you see, nothing was planned. It was just a family meeting. And uh, it took me, yeah, one year to be sure about my own decision. Um, so growing up in Champagne, in wine, was there ever a time when you thought that you wouldn't follow a career yeah, in wine? Absolutely. What, what, were, what were some of the things you thought you might do? Uh, because I was, I've been always traveling quite a lot. And it was, um, maybe I, if, if I didn't have this chance to come back in Champagne for the family business, I wouldn't leave uh, aboard my own country, to be honest. Because I've been always really interesting about traveling. Uh, meeting lots of different people. But doing some commercial studies means you can do quite different things. Sure. It was a really open kind of studies. So did you go to a, a business school? Uh, no. 
The university? A university in Reims, okay. in France. So you just studied <laughs> in, in, in your home region? Yes. <laughs> and I've decided to, to work um, in um, London for a few years and in the United States as well. So I've been working in London in the catering services because when you when you are like young and no and really you want to have a, an easy life and to really enjoying your life. It's a good way to meet people as well. Yes. And afterwards I've decided to to work for um, in Paris for a family who used to organize some wine event but really top French level wine event. And it's true on my CV, when you are coming from grower, <laughs> it does help. I remember that the, the, my boss was quite interested about my profile because it was a completely different way to, to, to think about selling wine yes. when you're coming from a grower family. Yes. Yeah. So um, I'll just take this opportunity. Um, Jaca is a name that is pretty well known in Champagne, but there are... Cooperative. Yes. The big cop. Okay. Yeah. So absolutely no connection, no link at all. Nothing, just, Let me just tell the same story. name. Yes. Okay. André Jacquard, which is the name of my grandfather, have been creating his own brand and he took his name, which does make sense. Yes. And after he decided to make his own brand, few years afterwards... Um, the big brand Jacquard used to be located in a street called Jacquard. That's the only reason oh. they took this name. So there's absolutely no family link. On it's interesting that the cooperative would be named after the name of the street. <laughs> yeah, because Jacquard was quite, I mean, nice name. Mm -hmm. You can tell him around the world, Jacquard's. Sounds good. <laughs> and, and the street was not named after someone in your family? No, 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 no. It no, was no relation whatsoever. Absolutely no relation. Oh, that's strange. And they became a, a big cooperative, as you know now. And it's true that the mentality from my grandfather protecting the notion of printing brand and name was not at all in his, in his perspective. Mm -hmm. So that's why he didn't protect the name, André Jacquard. So... I mean, we are completely different uh, people, company, the way that we work, mm -hmm. the way we sell. So that's not a big, a big problem. Whilst you were um, living and working overseas and traveling, um, was it a good opportunity for opportunity for you to gain some experience in the oh, market yes. and to think about how champagne, and particularly Absolutely. grower champagne, Absolutely. can work in the market? Oh yes, for sure. That's why when I've decided to come back, I was, if I can say, a little bit more open mind girl. Okay. Be compared to my friends who used to stay with their parents in the property, following what the parents used to do. Like, okay, no change. It's working like this. You stay like this. You will work like this. Mm -hmm. So that's why when I've decided to come back and I've bring my experience coming from abroad, it was... Um, I was definitely more open mind and offering some different things to think about to my parents and grandparents. So that's why I've decided to make big changes in terms of philosophy, approach of wine, completely different that my parents and grandparents used to do. Okay. So um, from their vineyards, how much wine were they making themselves before you took over? Um, they took 
to use around 8% of our production and to sell the grapes to negotiate people as well, okay. which is quite usual in, uh, in Champagne. To work in those both sides, to make your own champagne and to sell as, it. As a grower or as a grower producer? As a grower producer. Okay. Yes. So um, as a grower, what's the average amount of hectares to, to own? As a private grower, not not as not not uh, owned uh, by the company. average, uh, it's around five to six hectares. Okay, and that's the average in Champagne. And grow a producer, do you know? Roughly the same. The same. Yeah, roughly. Okay. Sincerest apologies for interrupting another fascinating Vincast chat, but I wanted to mention the supporter of this episode of the podcast. So I'm speaking exclusively to the female listeners of the podcast who might happen to be at a wine event, a dinner or something like that in the city and uh, looking at a way to get home. Why not consider the new Australian Sheba app, which has been set up by women for women? Sheba is a safe and convenient form of transportation for female-only passengers, uh, which makes you feel more comfortable because not only are all the, the drivers females themselves, but they also take home 85% of the revenue. So I highly recommend checking out the app and finding out if Sheba is available in your area. Get started with Sheba today. Visit the App Store or the Google Play Store to download the Sheba app and get riding in minutes. When you ride with Sheba, you're getting where you need to go and connecting with a ride-sharing community full of exceptional Australian women. Download the app today. Um, so what was the, when you said that you had some different ideas and what, can you talk a little bit about what, how you wanted to, um, finesse and redirect yeah. the, the Andre Jacquard brand and yeah. story for yourself? Which was really important for me. I think I was convinced since the beginning that, the way of uh, selling champagne, the way of approaching vinification, the way of the consumers are drinking champagne, have changed a lot compared to my parents and grandparents. They are quite similar. Parents and grandparents used to work in the same direction. But for me, coming in a family means more working on a niche top-level range of champagne. And... I can't complain what my parents and grandparents have done before, but I have a little frustration that I have gold in my hand and I can be and I can go further up in terms of quality champagne. My parents and grandparents used to work on a traditional, classic, standard style of champagne. For me, it was really obvious that we can go further down and on really working on niche product which sounds really marketing things but it does i will i will say please excuse me <laughs> for saying this but i think that that is a little bit more to do with the market there is now you know champagne has always been very strong but as far as quality 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 yeah. <laughs> for champagne you know the the wines that were put on the, on this pedestal with the grand mark you know, the Dom Perignon, the Krug, this kind of thing. And, like, these are still, Maison, these are still relatively large. You know, the, this, the, the niche you talk about, I don't think it really existed until maybe 20 years ago. Yeah. And, and particularly, well, maybe outside of France, that, that certainly might be the case. So I think that it may have been 
difficult, even if they had this vision and this 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 idea of creating, you know, quality yeah. um, grower champagne. Uh, the 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 market might not have been there, it's so they true. would have seen a lot of they would have seen a lot of difficulty to to sell and market this wine. Completely agree with you. It's true. So that's why it was I took this responsibility coming from my new generation coming to more focus on yes the really, opportunity the opportunity was perfect for you. Yeah. Okay. And I made all these big changes for only one reason. I had the quality of grapes to do it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, forget. It sure. doesn't work. So I've been, I've made three big changes. The first one, I've decided to work on a really long aging, five years aging for the non-vintage and seven and even more for our vintage bottle. Yes. Second decision I took is to work on really low dosage, more extra brute range than the traditional dosage of brute, seven and eight grams mm-hmm. of sugar per liter. And the last decision I took, which was actually the biggest one in terms of impact on a wine, is to work in oak barrels, so wood, which was not to be done by my parents and grandparents before. Mm-hmm. They used to do the traditional steel vats, mm-hmm. uh, vinificate. So it's true working with oak barrels, wood in champagne. It used to be done a long, long, long time ago before yeah. that the steel vase does exist. And, and there are still some producers who, yes. you know, that, that's part of that important, like Boulanger and Crooks, really important part of their style. Of, I've been a little bit inspired about those, those big brands. Okay, that was, my, that was my question. Absolutely. That was my next question was, Absolutely. as far as the way of making the wine, uh, which which of the producers, whether grower, champagne producers or, or the, the large houses, were you inspired by? I've been inspired by Bollinger, obviously, mm-hmm. Krug, especially the Clos du Menil, because it's really their neighbors. Of course. <laughs> and I've, I've been inspired by, uh, you probably know this brand in Ria la Montagne, uh, Chinileros, sorry, um, Villemar. Yes. We have always been, I've loved this kind of style of champagne. So they are more on the Pinot Noir and red grapes. Sure. But I was convinced that it can suit me with uh, my pure Chardonnay, Blanc de Blanc style champagne. Okay. As far as the, the work in the vineyard, um, before you started, were, um, what was the, the, the philosophy for, for the work in the vineyard? Yeah, it was nothing really special. Okay. It's true. I have to be really honest. We are more now, now working on culture raisonnée. But the, my parents and grandparents, it was a completely vision because they have to produce. So they've been asking the vineyards to be quite efficient. Sure. So it was completely in, the, in a different vision. But I'm glad that now we have got more strict, strict rules about working on the vineyards and the treatment have been, it's completely another approach that now that we are making compared to my Parents and grandparents. Do you think, and that's good. Do you think that this is a really important oh, part yes. of, in terms of producing quality wine, you must have quality grapes first? Absolutely. So you had these amazing vineyards. Yes. And you had the, you know, the potential to produce very high quality fruits. So you had to change a little bit in terms of the vineyards? Yes, I did. I did. Um, being the fifth generation, it means for me I'm working with quite old uh, vineyards average of age. Sure. So it means that forget about quantity. I mean, forget. 
it's not the big quantity that you are expecting. The point, the quality is different. Is definitely in the vineyards. Yeah. So that's why my approach. So I keep on replanting now since few years. But it's true that my parents and grandparents didn't have this philosophy about replanting that much. Okay. Um, so as far as the the, the harvest and then bring the, the the grapes into the winery, it's a very gentle press. And then yes, how much is vinified in 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 barrel? It depends on the harvest because every harvest is different. Of course. Um, but it's between six and eight months in oak barrels, um, which is really important. Our oak barrels are not new. They're coming from Burgundy producer. So I'm traveling every year with my dad to buy as a second hand uh, oak barrels coming from Burgundy Chardonnay wine producer to 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 keep on, on, on going and to, because I've brought 200 different oak barrels. Because in 24 hectares, guess how many parcels I have? 100? By two. 200. Almost. <laughs> okay. So, you know. And you, and, you, and you keep everything separate. Absolutely. That's really important for me to keep the origin, the traceability of the grapes, through my vinification and to give to give different identity on each bottle of my range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you are uh, going to Burgundy to to source barrels, are there particular brands, particular coopers that you yes, like to work with? Absolutely, I'm working with four different coppers because I like this kind of variety of oak. It will be a different test for your for different grapes. Even if they are all Chardonnay and coming from Menil of Vertu, believe me, the allocation, the age of the vineyards offer you completely different quality. That's really important for me to keep that. And working with four different coppers, it's a good, good balance for me. And uh, yes, so we don't have any contract, of course not, with a, a Burgundy wine producer, but we do work almost every year with the same one. Okay. Yes. To keep this 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 direction. Uh, you know, um, a quality burgundy producer is going to be buying quality yes, barrels. Absolutely. And so, you know, th- th- it's important to have this relationship and they know that they are selling the yeah. the, the second use barrels to a quality champagne producer. So, it does, it's, a, it's a good deal. What, what's <laughs> the what's the average age of the barrels that you use? Um be- from two to even five or six wines. And I, re- and I want to, to keep them even for 10 or 12 years used. It's not a big problem for me because our wine reserved are stored in oak barrels as well. Mm-hmm. And every year, it's a new harvest, a new challenge, n- a new approach of wine. And I want to have this flexibility choice to, to choose the best oak barrels to fit with my grapes. Okay. So the decision as far as the style of champagne that you want to produce, um, can you tell me why it was you wanted to to make this more, um, let's say, complex yes. champagne, oh, yes. a more food-friendly champagne? Yeah. You, you, what, what was what, – why did you – apart from the fact that you really enjoy this champagne yeah. yourself – as from a from a, a sales from a marketing perspective, why did you choose to to work in this way? My target was to work on gastronomic champagne, 
So champagne goes with food. Because for me, champagne, it's wine with bubbles. Yes. So it was important for me to find this real structure of Chardonnay wine. So my first goal was gastronomic champagne coming from almost a single area. So to be really close from the nature can offer us in terms of elegance, freshness, long aging. And thanks to the oak, I can bring some fruitness, richness, it's full body wine, complexity. And it's true that uh, I have to say that I haven't done a champagne that can everybody can like it, but it's, it's for sure. It's a champagne with lots of personality and lots of um, distinctive champagne, if I can say. Do you think that um, do you think an important part of um, the I guess the the richness, the structure of the wine, be- because you are working with barrels, that means that with a lower dosage, you you know that 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 you don't have to worry too much about softness because uh, I find absolutely. that in a lot of cases the reason you, you have dosage is to soften yeah. the wine a little bit because you know the the, the wine maybe is going to be too sharp so yeah. you don't have to worry about sharpness because of the way you're working with barrels absolutely absolutely and coming from the quality of our vineyards grapes as well and with and according to the average of our vineyards as well because forget about quantity, but the concentration inside the berries are amazing. And if you can combine with low dosage, no malolactic fermentation and oak barrels uh, fermentation, for me, it's quite a good, uh, it's a good, um, it's working quite well together. Did you um, make some experimentations to come up with this this approach, this style, or did you sort of had you already formed in your mind an idea if we if we do one, two, three, four different things, then the style of wine we will have will be in you know in this area that I want yes. it to be. Okay, yes. Second, you had this in your mind, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. You I must had... have drunk a lot of champagne to to, to have uh, developed <laughs> yes, <I> this did. <laughs> approach. <laughs> and of course, my my dad. Uh, really support me and he told me Marie I think you're right and you are you are the future you represent the image of the André Jacquard and you have to get this real personality and if you are doing a blind testing you recognize the André Jacquard touch mm-hmm. signature if mm-hmm. I can say which was really important for me what when when did you first release your first commercial wine for André Jacquard so my first harvest was 2004 yes so I've done four five, six, seven, building a new range, building a new vinification with no sales because the deal was to wait at least four to five years. So I've launched in the market the new range in 2008. Wow. So it will be 10 years next year. Okay. That's the anniversary. <laughs> and um, was it uh, difficult? Was it challenging for you it to, to, ta- to, to relaunch, relaunch this uh, n- almost new as brand and story. It was. Uh, I knew that I've uh, been through quite hard choice to make, and in terms of sales, completely different clientele. Yes, which has happened. So I've lost all the export market coming from my mum, and, and I've lost lots of private French customer, okay, or even professional uh, French customer. I knew that. I was ready for that. I was prepared. So. 
It took me a few, few months, few years, of course, but I'm really happy about the big changes I've done because I'm now producing 100,000 bottles per year and I do export 8%. Wow. 8%. Okay. 20 different countries. And, and I guess it's perfect for you because you, have, you know, from early on, you had this love of, of travel Absolutely. And, and, you know, learning and meeting new people. Yeah. So it's a great opportunity for uh, you, I guess. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> and I'm always quite surprised by the connection I've done when I was a teenager or definitely younger. It's still useful for me nowadays. So that's great. And I'm really happy. Something that and that I have kind of felt for a long time in visiting Champagne a few times is um, I I can't think of another region in the world where um, there have been so many important women with yes. with the wine with wine history. True. And I think about certain people like um, Lily Boulanger and you know, Madame Clicquot. Of course. You know these were people who. Uh, effectively saved champagne at different times, yeah. you know, particularly during very complicated um, periods of time. And uh, I think it's it's important uh, as a part of champagne, as a part of the story and the, the brand image that, that women are so, so important and possibly yeah. even more important than the men for champagne. Yeah, it's true that we say that the woman approach is a little bit different. We've got Different feeling, different, yeah, different way of thinking, and and, and more and more vision, perhaps, perhaps people with lots of personality. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, what have been um, some of the, the, the your favorite markets to be selling and talking about your champagne in around the world? Um, the choice of my importer obviously are really important because I'm not traveling every day, talking with them. So it's true that um, I'm working in direct with all my importers. So I can really create a real relation, friendly relationship. We are selling a grower champagne. So to have a face behind the bottle, that's really important. And we have a, a, a story to, to tell to people. So in terms of volume, uh, it's true that Big countries like the United States and China are big, big sales for us. But I'm working really well as well with all the Scandinavian countries, yes. Sweden, Norway, Finland, Denmark, really good countries for pure Chardonnay style champagne as well. And I'm working with Australia with now almost eight years. And we've been growing quite a lot ourselves our as well. So I'm really happy. And we are selling to uh, so Australia, New Zealand, uh, Japan, Korea, um, Belgium, Italy, Czech Republic. So it's like, yeah, it's quite different, completely different approach for each country. Do you enjoy having to think differently for the different markets? Yes, I do. It's, it must be a great opportunity. You, you probably learn more about your champagne oh, yes. traveling and, and meeting customers and importers than, than you would just staying at home in oh, champagne. Yes. And when you come back, you've got like, you are thinking about what people you've met, all the comments they can, they told you. And yeah, it's never, there's no routine in our job. You are always learning from your wine, 
from the customer when you are traveling from different culture, different approach. And that's, yeah, make me really lots of, uh, it's, it's an amazing job. And I, I loved what I'm doing. Uh, and placing your champagne in a, a very premium, you know, niche quality part of the, the market uh, would mean that, you know, your champagnes are on some of the finest restaurants in the world. And I feel that like there is a lot more interest now in grower champagne, possibly because I think many, many sommeliers are a little bit tired of seeing the very large houses and they want to have something different. Yeah. Is there um, a community around grower champagne? Uh, you know, are, are you sort of, do you support each other and sort of say, yes, this is a really important, this is the other face of champagne that we want to promote? Since now it didn't really happen, but you probably heard about, um, it used to be the Champagne Week, the Printemps des Champagnes in April. Yes. And there's lots of group of champagne have been formed since almost now five years. And I'm part of a new group called Passion Chardonnay, which is, you know, in the title, you can understand straight away what's going on. Yes. <laughs> so there's more and more. It's true that it used to be more individual things before, but now we are more getting on groups and there's a, a, a big, strong um New, genera new generation coming now since almost 10 years. And you can see that through the, 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 the champagne market that's more and more grow champagne. They've built a strong uh, reputation. Because I guess the main difference between Grow Champagne and, and a large maison is, of course, the Grow Champagne is much smaller. So they can be so different from each other. Absolutely. Because they, you know, it's not just a question of uh, they're in all of Cote Blanc or Montagne. No, 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 not at all. You know, yeah. they are in specific parts yes. of those areas in Champagne. And and then when you look at, you know, subtle differences in the way that they are working, you Absolutely. know, some maybe age their wines for longer or shorter, some use barrels, some don't. Right. Some, yeah. you know, I think it's a it's an opportunity to to talk about grow champagne, but yeah. also that you are making you're all making different wines and you have a different story. Absolutely. And I have to say that customers are now more ready to discover this kind of new champagne produce, producer. And it's true that the, the sommelier are doing an amazing job at educating, teaching, definitely more offering uh, uh, um, something different coming from the big brands. But consumers are ready to listen and they are uh, ready to to drink something different, mm. which is, of of course, really important. It not used to be always done like this. Yeah. So question of education, yeah, and to travel around the world and um, talking about our our vineyards. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, Marie, it's been fascinating and fantastic to to hear more about yourself and Thank about you. Andre Jacquard. I really do appreciate your time. Um, if you'd like to people, people to, if they want to find out more information, um, what's the best place for them to go to, to learn more about the Andre Jacquard story? Maybe on our website, if yes. I can say. Sure. Uh, to be honest with you, he's under construction okay. now because I'm doing like lots of new things. But uh, it's um, andrejacquard.com, which, which was, is really easy to remember. And um, um, of course, if everybody is like traveling and going through Champagne, 
they are more than welcome to to come at home. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure there will be many people who will be knocking on your door saying, I'm, ready. I'm from Australia. I'm <laughs> no here worries. To, I'm, I'm here to learn more. <laughs> but uh, thank you very much for your thank time. You, and I wish you the most success here in Melbourne. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thanks. And thank you, listeners, for joining us on this episode of The Vincast. I have been James Gersbrook, otherwise known as The Intrepid Wino. And you can follow me on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm at Intrepid Wino. And the podcast can be found on Twitter, at The Vincast. Head to YouTube, uh, the Intrepid Wino channel. Uh, you can check out lots of different videos, including my series of Let's Taste videos. Uh, subscribe, leave a comment, uh, get in contact with me. I'd love to hear from you. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Player FM, Stitcher, Podbean, uh, iHeart Radio. I think it's going to be available on Spotify soon. Uh, subscribing means you get the episode as soon as it becomes available and you can uh, download all 125 previous episodes of the podcast. Um, and I'd love to uh, hear from you via a rating and review, which is a great way to also um, let other people know what you think of the podcast and uh, give some feedback to potential guests as well. Thank you, as always, to the guys from Earbuds. Uh, it's great to be part of a Melbourne podcast network. Please do follow uh, both Earbuds and myself on social media so you can find out all the details about the upcoming Vincast Live on 5th of December at Noisy Ritual in Brunswick East here in Melbourne. Uh, and, uh, of course, thank you to the sponsor for this episode, uh, Sheba. That's S-H-E-B-A-H. Check them out on uh, where, wherever you uh, download apps. But, uh, guys, I've got lots more episodes to come, and I hope to have you on future episodes but until then bye earbuds melbourne's podcast network earbudsnetwork.com